0: Thanks so much, Dave, that was great. So, um, welcome if you're visiting on holidays um, this morning, it's really nice to see you. Over these past few weeks, we've kind of been loosely thinking about mission deconstructed. What does mission look like now? And so a couple of weeks ago, we had Martin and Ruth Harrison with us, and we've been um, supporting Martin and Ruth for many years now. And when we first started supporting them, they were like proper missionaries. You know, they, they went to another continent, and they had to learn another language, and they lived in another country, in another capital city, in Quito, in Ecuador, and that's like what proper missionaries do, isn't it? And then after a number of years there, they came back, and they lived in Harrogate, now, proper missionaries don't live in Harrogates, do they? Um, but, you know, we've carried on supporting Martin and Ruth because actually they're doing all sorts of stuff in mission, and Martin is spending quite a bit of his time in Central Asia and all sorts of other things. We also had with us that day Colin Lowther, the CEO of Reach Beyond, and he was talking to us about um, some of the global things they're doing, but some of those global things are in Bradford's. Uh, the Millside Centre, working with lots of different people groups who find themselves currently in Bradford. And last week we had uh, we were privileged to have Eddie Lyle with us, CEO of um, uh, Open Doors, sharing with us what we can learn from the persecuted church, from our brothers and sisters across the globe who are suffering for their faith in Jesus, but how we can be inspired and challenged by them and their faith. So we're thinking about what does mission looked like. And when we were putting the program together, I said to Phil, oh, well, I'll do that Sunday, and I'll do something like, you know, trends in global mission, which seemed like a good idea about two months ago. Um, and then this week it became reality. So I want us to start with Jesus, except that in a way I think we need to go back even further than that to Genesis, because right at the very beginning when God made his covenant with Abraham... He said, I want you to bless all nations. Right from the beginning, right from the first day, from the first kinds of conversations that God had with people on earth, he said, my plan is for the whole world, for all nations. And I'm going to choose to do it like this, first of all, through Israel, through that special relationship but his plan has always been to reach all nations with the good news for all nations to know him and to know his grace and mercy. And so we go through that whole period of time to Jesus, and right at the end of Jesus' life, he says these words to his disciples. And uh, people have said over many years that the last things that someone says are the most important things. And this is some familiar words from Matthew 28. Everyone out there, go there, make disciples, make followers of Jesus. Teach them the things that I have taught you. And not long later, we find ourselves in the book of Acts. And if you would take your Bible or electronic device and turn it on or open it at Acts chapter 1. And I just want to read you these few verses, which again are probably familiar Verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem And in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we have this amazing promise that they will wait where they are until the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And. The authority of Jesus, going under the authority of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit is critical to everything else that we're going to talk about this morning. The Holy Spirit will come upon them and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there is, if you like, this inexorable, centrifugal power of God that forces them beyond where they are to where they need to be. We have a missionary God whose heart is always to go further, to reach out more with the good news of the gospel. We go from where we are to what is familiar to what is unknown. We are called to be witnesses of Jesus. Now, when we read these verses in Acts, we have a bit of a tendency to apply them to ourselves, which is, by the way, not a bad thing. And we imagine that we are suddenly Jerusalem, And I want to remind you that these words came to the disciples not in Great Britain, They were in Israel, they were in Jerusalem, they were in a different place. And I say that because we often make ourselves the center. And when we talk about mission, we most definitely make ourselves the center. But the center was somewhere else. We are the ends of the earth. So I just want us to remind ourselves of that, that we are called to be witnesses, just as those first disciples were. So we're going to start with a few facts. So are you ready? Because these are actually really interesting facts. We're going to look first of all at how the demographic of believers has changed in 200 years or so. First of all, I'll read it to you just in case you can't see it. In 1800, 99% of all Christians were in Europe and North America and only 1% in the whole rest of the world. By 1900, it had changed slightly to 90% in Europe and North America and 10% in the rest of the world. So not much change, really, in 100 years. By 1979, we're hitting the tipping point. 50% in Europe and North America and 50% in Latin America, Africa and Asia. By 2018, so just last year, 23% of all Christians are in Europe and North America, and 77% of all Christians are in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Now, that is a really important thing for us to realize, that the whole thing has tipped. By about 2050, it'll probably be almost more like 1800, but flipped the other way around. For every one new believer in North America and Europe, there are nearly 30 new believers in the developing countries, places like Nigeria, Brazil, India, and China. That is a big fact that's really important when it comes to thinking about global mission and what is going on across the globe. We also need to think a little bit about this. You'll notice that I learned how to do bespoke charts on the PowerPoint this week. I was very <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> I spent nearly as much time learning to do that as all the rest of it, I think. But anyway. <laughs> so, this is about the growing number of absolute non believers. In 1900, it was roughly under one billion non believers in the world. By 1970, it was about 2.2 billion. By 2000, it was 4 billion. By 2018, it was 5 billion. By 2025, it's predicted to be 5.2 billion. And by 2050, we're talking about 6.1 billion absolute unbelievers in the world. There are more non-Christians alive today than at any other time in the whole of human history. Now, a huge amount of that is because of the global population is just increasing at a huge rate. And if ever you follow some graphs about that, you'll see it steady, steady, steady. (laughs) And that's, of course, what's happening. And the greatest growth is happening in certain parts of the world. So it kind of makes sense, but we need to wake up. If ever we thought that mission was finished, it's totally the opposite of that. Totally the opposite. At the same time, the number of global missionaries, those who go cross-cultural, change countries or change people groups in a significant manner to take the gospel, has broadly plateaued. So in 2000, it was 420,000. By 2018, it was 440,000. So there's only a very small percentage of growth there. There is many, uh, sorry, much less people being sent into mission. There hasn't been the same growth as there has been in population. However, here is trend number one. There's quite a few of these, by the way. Trend number one is this, the rise of non-Western missionaries. Now, this is a brilliant thing. You know, the receivers, those who we sent missionaries to in the Victorian era and around that time, those countries and others are becoming the senders. So places like South Korea, Brazil, Nigeria, they are sending missionaries to other parts of the globe. And actually, that's really exciting because that's where the greatest percentage of believers are. It's where the church is growing like wildfire. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. There's nigh on revival in some of these places. And they are the ones who are saying, We're now Jerusalem, and we're sending people out into the rest of the globe. And boy, don't we need that in Europe at this point for those with real fire, real life, to come into our culture and context with the good news of Jesus. So trend number one is the rise of non-Western missionaries. Trend number two is kind of linked to that, really, and it's an emphasis on partnership, that we are working much more together. There's much greater cooperation and equality um, at the moment. So there's an importance of both West and Global South missions efforts. It's not that one of us should stop. It's that we should both do the things that are in front of us to do. Nor is it a kind of passing of the baton, but a cooperative, equal partnership. And at times before, it was very much something was set up, it, it stopped, they passed the baton on, and, and then it continued. That's not always a bad thing. But actually, that this sense of cooperation, working together so that everyone brings their best. This next one kind of sounds slightly patronizing, but I think you kind of understand what it means, and it may well change very soon anyway. It's often the West providing expertise, training, and innovation. I should probably say the developed nations there, really, and the global South providing manpower, people, cultural nearness, and zeal. You know, it's those strengths, whatever they happen to be, and those will be continually shifting, and so we have the emergence of international... Mission teams, I don't know how many of you were at the uh, Africa evening that we had, but I particularly recall Cathy talking about the team she was working with in Rwanda, all the different nationalities, and um, she spoke a little bit about the caricatures of all the different nationalities. I had a coffee with her a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking even more about the strengths You know, that it was brilliant to have this nation because their strengths are this and this other nation because their strengths are this. And actually, if you can work together, there is great power and strength in those different um, capacities that we bring to a team. So the trend is on partnership locally, where we are, and further afield in more mission. Really, this is a time for a new generation of people understanding what mission looks like. Short-term mission is really important because of our global communications. So we can take skills that we have, and we can take them into a different context and really make a difference. That's what Bridget does. Um, Often in the summer, she goes for six weeks into a culture and context she understands with the skills that she has, and she takes them there, and she helps train and teach, and then she comes back again. Our young people need short-term mission because in their generation and time, no one signs up for anything for any length of time. They just don't. That's not how our culture is now. We don't have that same sense of duty of signing up for the long haul. No one expects to do the same job for their whole career anymore. That's just not normal. So actually, people going to do short-term Mission helps them to see something differently, to gain perspective, to try something, and maybe in the sense of that, to have their minds shifted and have a sense of the calling of God on their lives for something longer term. There's many opportunities for that. Costs are much lower than they used to be, travel is much easier than it used to be. In the biographies I read growing up as a teenager, you got on a boat with your whole family. And you were lucky if any of you were still alive by the time you got to the country that you were heading for. No one ever expected you to come back. That is not our current reality in the main. Things are different now. As sending churches across the globe, we like to be involved. We like to have relationship. We like to know who it is that we're talking about. We like to see them. We like to know about their lives. That's kind of how we are. We're less inclined to just sign up for something because it's a good thing to do. We like to feel engaged. And across the globe, and rightly so, indigenous Christians are taking on the leadership of the church. And of course, that's the right thing, isn't it? So if they want help and support, they can ask. And it's not that kind of putting ourselves upon other people. The third trend comes out of this. This is the 1040 window, pretty much the kind of more the colored bit, really, the top bit. The 1040 window was a term that was coined in 1990, and I recall that coming onto our conversations when I was in college. It's the areas located between the 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator, This is the area of the globe where there is the highest level of socio-economic challenges and least access to the Christian message and Christian resources on the planet. So you put those two things together and there is something very serious going on in those 30 degrees. Roughly two-thirds of the world population lives between 10 and 40 degrees north of the equator. Two-thirds of the world's population Many of the governments in the countries that you see on this map are either officially or unofficially opposed to Christian work of any kind within the borders of their nations. We are talking here about 5.11 billion individuals. We are talking about 8,716 distinct people groups. We are talking about The 68.7% of the population, just over 3 billion people who are considered unreached. These are really staggering statistics, just in that colored bit of the globe there. At the same time, these lands are those that have huge historical and biblical significance. Nearly everything you read about in here happens in that 1040 window. I don't know if that's a surprise or not. It is the least evangelized. It has the most unreached peoples and the huge mega cities of over one million people. Those nations are dominated by Islam, Hinduism and Buddhism and most of the world's poor live in those lands. And beyond that, It seems that it is a spiritual stronghold, that there is something more than just the context of poverty or urbanization or aggressive politics. There is something of a spiritual stronghold over that area of our globe. So it is about going and giving and all those things, but it's also about prayer, about something beyond ourselves. So trend three is this, increasing persecution especially in this area now Eddie wasn't speaking about this last week but the colored countries on there are those that are on the world watch list there's 50 countries that are named on the world watch list every year the data is processed in a particularly um, efficient manner to make sure that it's right every year it's about threat And it's about actual persecution, torture, imprisonment, death. It's about all of those things together. A few years ago, you could get into the top 50 and actually it appeared that it wasn't maybe quite so bad from the outside. Now, the difference between number one and number 50 is ever narrowing. And there's probably another 50 countries that could easily be on that list because persecution across the globe is increasing almost every day. It is getting harder and harder in more and more countries to follow Jesus. And so that is one of the things that we have to understand when we think about mission globally. Trend four is this. More Muslims are coming to know Jesus than at any other time in history, all right? So it's not all bad news. It's not all bad news. There are more Muslim believers who name Jesus as Savior and Lord Than at any other time in history, or all the other people put together, because God is on the move. Because even as things ramp up against people who trust Jesus, Jesus is on the move. And that's just absolutely thrilling, isn't it? We have heard stories of uh, those who are devoutly seeking, who've had the revelation of Jesus to them in dreams and visions. I was talking to Barry this morning after the 9.15, and he was telling me about that sort of thing's going on in Burnley. You know, it's not just over there, although it kind of is over there when it's Burnley, isn't it? But it's kind of like not over there there. It's kind of the near over there. You know, we shouldn't feel afraid of what is going on. We should just be observant of what is going on because Jesus wants everyone, every one of those 5.11 5.11 billion individuals who live in this 1040 window are known to him, are valued by him. They are not just a big, big number. They are individual people who need to know the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening. And so we see that more and more and those stories which used to have a story that got a whole book to it, well, there's so many of those stories now. It's amazing. Here's a fact for you. The New Testament has been translated into the mother tongue of about 93% of the world's population. However, the remaining approximately 7% will require about 1,575 new translations. So we have a look at it here. There are about 563 Bibles, that's whole Bibles in different languages. There's about 1,334 New Testaments, about just over a 1,000 portions of Scripture. But that leaves nearly 4,000 people, languages, where there's nothing. There's no Scripture. There is not one Scripture, or maybe there's just one that is translated. If you look at that in terms of the number of speakers, that means about over 5 billion people can have access to a Bible. So that's amazing, actually, isn't it? 658 million New Testaments, about 280 million portions. But again, nearly 500 million people that have no Bible in their language at all. I want to commend people like Wycliffe and other mission organizations who have consistently, at great cost and personal risk, said, we are going to... Translate the Bible, and more often than not, when they've got there, there is no language written. They've mostly had to find out what the language is, write it down, and learn it in order to actually even put it. It's not like taking this and say, oh, I'll translate it into French." There is no, no French. You know, they're having to write it all down. It's it's a huge undertaking, and what they have achieved is utterly phenomenal. And we should thank God that you know five billion people get to have the Scriptures in their language. But, you know, this ties in to another trend across the globe, and it's this. It's about oral witness. About 60% of the world are oral learners, and only about 40% book learners. And so we need more audio scriptures, more storytelling, more non-book training But you know what, about as as much as 70% of the global population prefers non-literate forms of communication. This includes my two children, by the way. It includes a large number of literate and even highly educated people in the global north as well as the global south. Missionaries are turning to audio and video resources rather than to print to share with people who cannot, will not, or prefer not, that's my children, to read... So at the same time as we have this growing sense that, have we ever going to get to the end of all these portions of the Bible, we have this um, availability of technology that allows for audio for video. You know many of you probably have heard of the Jesus film that um, people like Heidi Baker are taking around parts of Africa particularly, but also into India. And they just set up a big screen and they show this film about Jesus and literally thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. Now, obviously, it's really helpful if they then have the scriptures, but they can listen to scripture, many of them in their own language, if they have the availability of that. Those Muslims who have visions and dreams of Jesus often turn first to the television channels or to the radio channels in order to pursue their research of who this Jesus is and to find access to those who can talk to them and teach them and provide them with written material. So actually, we need to pay attention to this because some of you in this room might actually be able to contribute to this because of your job, because of your um, capacity and ability. This is something that you might be able to give to. So it's really important. The sixth trend, are you still with me? Is this, an urban focus. More than 54% of the world's population live in urban areas. That's around 3.9 billion people, and it's growing. It's estimated that by 2050, 80%... Of the world's population will live in huge cities. 80%. I mean, that's a huge and rapid growth, isn't it, as well, between now and 2050, which is not that long away. Please put your hand up if you've ever been to a mega city. Mike, where have you been? Manila. Manila. How, do you know? Peter, where have you been? Yeah, I thought Singapore was a bit Yeah. Andy? Peter? Osaka, yeah? Some Come on, the rest of you. Put your hands up at the back. David. Uh, London and Cairo. Cairo. Do you know how big Cairo is? No, it's the biggest in Africa. Biggest in Africa. Okay. Yeah. Singapore as well, yeah. Yeah, quite big as well. Yeah. You know, people this morning were putting their hands up and saying, I, I went to, wherever, 120 million. I mean, London is 8 million. L- London's not a mega city, actually. It's a city, it's a big city. (laughs) It's not a mega city. I mean, 120 million people. And that's the kind of thing that's going on because people can't find the resources they need to live in the countryside. So whilst we might like to watch Escape to the Country, actually the reality for the vast percentage of the global population is that the city is the place where you might be able to find work. And tragically, that is the story behind these Vietnamese people. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, who died this week. It was because someone said, I will pay for your ticket to the city where you can find wealth and employment and hope. But there was none. And actually, that is a great concern alongside this urbanization is that the traffickers are those who promise hope in the city. And so those who are vulnerable, those who can't afford to eat, those who can't afford schooling for their children, those who have many children and and can't keep all of them at home, those who are just young people who are ambitious for a hope and a future, They are vulnerable because when you move to the city, voluntarily or not, you lose all your community, all your culture, all the people who know you, and you are vulnerable. And in the cities, you are anonymous and often lonely, and it's harder to build community, and people are often transient changing from one accommodation to another especially if they don't have much money. The positive is that if everyone's in the city they're all in the same place. So actually if we do mission strategically and wisely within the city context there's less distance to cover. There's often more technology. There's often more opportunity to engage with people outside of their home culture and family because they need that. Because they're more willing to make friends and join in a different community and hear something different from what they have had back at home. So it's, it's not all bad. But where missionaries used to be sent to the real jungle, now they need to go to the urban jungle. And we need new understanding of how to do mission in cities And I'm not sure that any of us have really quite understood what that looks like, even in our own nation, leave alone somewhere else. Trend number seven is this, witness to the diasporas. That's just a word for scattered, for those who have scattered... When I worked for UCCF, which is a lot of years ago now, we had a number of things that were strategic points that we used to get across to our students. And the fourth one of those was world mission. And it was a really important thing. and I'm really grateful for that being engraved on my heart for a number of years. But one of the things that we uh, tapped into was the amount of international students who were in our universities even then, So we're talking in 88 to 92. That's when I was doing that. There were lots of international students. Tembi, who's sitting there very calmly right now, that was her job. She used to work with international students because there were so many of them. And many of those who were coming over to the UK were much more open to the gospel than ever they could have been where they were. We're just seeing that on a mega scale now. People are increasingly on the move Some of them voluntarily, they're seeking better economic opportunities. Many of them involuntarily now, refugees fleeing from conflict. And we see that, don't we, all over our news programs every single day. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity estimates that one in eight people globally live as part of a diaspora. That's a scattered community, one in eight including settled migrants who live outside their traditional homelands, as well as current migrants. It is a huge opportunity. Mission is literally on the doorstep. As I've said a couple of times, the Iranian church is the fastest growing church across the globe, and Iran is close to the gospel. In fact, just this last week, Many have been imprisoned again in Iran for their faith in Jesus. Part of the reason the Iranian church is growing so fast is because there are so many Iranians in the UK and in other places where they can hear the gospel. Literally, down the road in Leeds, they are baptizing Iranian believers. Up in Stockton, there are tens of Iranian believers who are being baptized in the last years it's really exciting. So if we can't go there, they're coming here, and we need to take that opportunity. It is also about the changing face of the UK church. We don't see it so much in Skipton, although a little bit much, and it would be lovely to see more nationalities, wouldn't it, within our church community expressing that sense of what will heaven will be like when there's people from every tribe and Tunga nation there. You don't have to go very far, just into a city or a bigger town than ours. And some churches have got between 40 and 50 nationalities worshipping in the same space. It's an exciting time actually for the gospel because there is so much that we can bring to one another, learn from each other, contribute to one another from our cultural backgrounds, from our Christian cultural backgrounds, from what we understand of Jesus. We are going from everywhere to everywhere Trend number eight. There's not too many more to go. There is a witness through the global economy. There is an opportunity for Christian professionals to go to areas that we would never be able to access as missionaries. And in fact, a lot of mission organizations now take people who are professionals in a certain area of their lives because they can have access into the country. And if you write missionary in your passport, mm -mm, not happening. You know, there's uh, opportunities in places like Dubai, if you fancy going somewhere a bit warmer for the winter. There are people who are intentionally going into those kind of places, taking their profession. We need to pray for those people. You know, you need to be very wise if you go to Saudi Arabia or Dubai. You cannot just start a Bible study group and advertise it in the local shop. Uh -uh. But in order to share your faith in Jesus... Gently, carefully, wisely. Anyone who chooses to do that needs our prayers. Any Christian, any follower of Jesus living in those cultures needs our prayers. So, we are called to be a missionary people. Yes? Okay, two and a half of you are. All of us, disciples of Jesus, have been told by him to go and make disciples. The Spirit came upon the church. It was to send it out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. We are a missionary people. We are a missional community, all of us. And I want to show you something that's been around for a while now. On the left here, where we have all the red dots gathered together, is the gathered church. That's like Sunday morning, okay? And on the right here, where you have all the red dots everywhere between all the gray dots that's like you know most people's monday to saturday that's when you're scattered we are both we are the gathered church as we worship together and then we are the scattered church where we find ourselves in all sorts of places it may be the workplace it may be your family it may be what you do in your leisure time when perhaps you are the only red dot You may be surrounded by grey dots in your workplace. This is not like a pejorative statement, by the way. It's just the colours on the screen. In your leisure activity, what you do, you may be surrounded by grey dots. In your family, you may be the only red dot. This is the church scattered. We are missionary people here in Skipton Baptist Church, whichever church you come from. We have opportunities together as the gathered church. So we do cap. As the gathered church, we do food bank as the gathered church, messy hands, lunch club, whatever. Those are things we kind of do as the gathered church. But a majority of your time is spent scattered. And trend number nine is this recognizing the opportunities that are available to you. LICC, who developed this, talked about life on the front line, the front line just being where you spend your time where you spend your time. It will be different for every one of us. Make a difference where you are. Be a disciple of Jesus where you are. Mission starts with being Jesus' disciple where you are, doing what you do. You don't need any training for that. You don't need to go anywhere for that. You just need to do what you normally do and be Jesus' disciple where you are. And then before you know it, you might find that there's like a few more red dots. You know, that's, that's what reese has been doing, isn't it? Through CAP. Is she, she meets up with some grey dots, and then before you know it, those grey dots who've met a really great red dot, a couple of them maybe, they, well, they're coming to Alpha to meet some more red dots, aren't they? And what we're finding is that some of the grey dots have become red dots. You know, actually, there's something that's really amazing that happens as we just follow the call of God on us where we are right now. And it may be that God opens opportunities for you, whether it's a short-term opportunity, maybe it's to go on the team to Lesbos in February or on some other occasion, to take your skills and use them in that context. Maybe it's a calling like Alan and Karen have had recently to work with Reach Beyond, living where they are, but going off to do different things. Maybe that God will open a door for you and says, actually, I want you to totally relocate your whole life to somewhere else. Maybe it would be a calling on some of our young people and our children in this church to do something far beyond what we ever anticipated. In Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on them And they start to go from Jerusalem, from that preach in the marketplace, out into Judea and to Samaria where they don't even like the people and to the ends of the earth. And maybe your calling will be to Jerusalem, to the place that's safe, in effect. Or maybe it'll be a little bit more than that, to Judea. Maybe God will use you amongst people that you actually struggle with. Maybe you don't even like them that much, but but God takes you there. Maybe it will be the ends of the earth. But you know what? At the same time, God is doing this. And we should pray and really celebrate what God is doing by the ends of the earth coming here. Not, you know, people groups coming into our space, but actually, you know, The church in Nigeria, which is full of life and fire and the power of the Holy Spirit, has a church-planting strategy for our nation such as you would never dream of. Their approach is, you know, to go into a place to fast and pray for 40 days, and then, well, a church is planted. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? And we need some of that, don't we? England's actually not that bad, but across Europe and to North America where the percentage of believers is dropping. We need those guys to come to us, to be a gift to the church in the UK, to be a gift to the church in Europe, to bring the gospel in ways where we might have lost confidence, to see revival again in Europe and North America as we are beginning to see it across the globe. So I think this is really exciting. I've had a great week. (laughs) And I encourage you to think about this because actually as we think about it it might change our mind about how God might use us and what doors he might open and what we might support and how we might go forward from here. We're going to, in a moment, share communion together. And... um,